All right, let's read that one more time. Remain standing with me. That's why it's going to be a special service. Acts chapter 16, verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in faith and increased in number. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Messiah, they tried to go to Bethania, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Messiah, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul that night. A man in Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I want to preach to you this morning on this subject. Yield to God. Yield to God. Come on, say that with me. Yield to God. Help me preach to your neighbor. Just tell them if they have them. If you have a neighbor right now, just say yield to God. What it means to yield to God. You see, plant, Paul begins this story in Acts by showing us that he was planning to go to Asia. Now, Paul became a new believer, and he was all excited, and he wanted to go and preach the gospel to all these unsaved, lost people in Asia. So you can imagine that Paul begins to pack his bag and make the plans and get enough money and, and enough blessing, and he prayed, and he said, I feel, and I feel, and I feel like I have to go to Asia. There's so many lost people in Asia, and let's just go to Asia and preach the gospel. It's going to be amazing. And as Paul begins to head over to Asia, we don't understand why, but the Bible says that the Spirit prevented him from going. In fact, the Bible says that the Spirit hindered him from going to Asia. Not a problem. Paul is patient. So he says, okay, Lord, you don't want me to go to Asia. You don't want me to preach the gospel there. I don't know why, but Lord, I trust you. So then Paul says, I'm going to go to Bethania. So Paul begins to pack his bag for Bethania. He begins to get everything ready. And as he's going into the journey of Bethania, the Bible says this time that the Holy Spirit again prevented him from going to Bethania. And I would imagine Paul is confused and saying, Lord, I don't know what you want me to do. I don't know where you want me to go. But let me ask you this question. Does it ever feel like you have no clue what God is doing in your life? Show me your hand. This is exactly what Paul must have been feeling. But Paul is not discouraged. Paul is not angry. Paul, he just waits for the Lord. And here's some advice. If you're ever in a place in your life where you don't know what to do, where to go, why something is happening, what God is doing, the best thing you should do is nothing and wait on the Lord. And that's exactly what Paul does. And as Paul begins to wait, all of a sudden he gets a vision. And he gets this vision, and the Bible says to go to Macedonia. Now, when I read this passage of Scripture, seeing how many times Paul planned the journey, and he planned to go to Asia, and he planned to go to Bethania, but the Holy Spirit prevented him, the Holy Spirit hindered him, I realized that Paul, as a new Christian, he's learning something that I believe all believers need to know about God. It's found in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 9. Memorize this if you can. It says, a man's heart plans his ways. In a man's heart, we make plans, do we not? 
The Bible says a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Let me say that one more time. We, as people, in our hearts, nothing wrong with it, we make plans for our lives. We make plans for our future. We make plans that we don't even think about. So oftentimes we just plan to get up today. We plan to get dressed. We plan to go to church. We plan to have lunch. We plan to go back to home. We plan to go to work tomorrow. We plan our lives, our future. We make plans and we say, I plan on marrying this type of person. I want to be married by this time in my lifetime. I want to have this many kids. I plan on having this many children. I plan my retirement. I'm going to plan my future. I'm going to plan to live to be 89 and retire and be happy and wealthy. I'm making all of these plans in my life. And by a show of hand, how many of you have some plans this morning? All of us make plans. But see, God tells us this clearly. You go ahead and make your plans. You go ahead and in your heart, you plan your life, your future, what you want, what you desire. But understand that we serve a God that says, in the end, I make the determination. I determine your steps. So God indirectly is telling us that a man plans in his heart, but expect those plans to fail. Expect those plans not to work out. Expect the doors to close. But Lord, I wanted this really bad, and I don't understand why it's not happening. God, I thought by now I'd be here in my life, and I don't know why it's not happening. Because the Bible says we plan, but God determines our steps. As Christians, we are telling God, I have desires, I have a plan, but Lord, direct my steps. And when you tell God to direct your steps, expect disappointment. Expect that your plans are not going to work out. Expect that things are going to fail. Expect, like Paul, that God's going to prevent things from happening in your life that you wanted. Expect that God's going to hinder plans in your life that you thought were from God. Expect to get your heart broken. Expect not to get the opportunity. Expect to stay stuck in Miami. Expect to have this happen in your life and not that. Because we plan, but God determines our steps. My question to our church, just only our church, my sheep, my church, this church, can you trust the steps that God is leading you? Can you do it? I don't think so. I don't think so. But see, God says, I direct your steps. Paul has good intentions. I want to go to Asia, preach the gospel. Holy Spirit says, no. Okay, I'm going to go to Bethania. Those people are just as lost. I'm going to go there. I'm going to preach and people are going to get saved. And in Paul's mind, he's seen a great revival happening. And the Holy Spirit says, um, no. So he just waits. And then Paul gets a vision. Go to Macedonia. Verse 22 and 25. Paul gets a vision to go to Macedonia. He says, thank you, Lord, for giving me direction. Thank you, Lord, for showing me. Lord, I trusted you. I'm okay, Lord. I'm glad Asia didn't work out. I'm glad Macedonia didn't work out. Lord, I'm believing you. I'm believing you, Lord. So he goes thinking that in Macedonia, he's going to preach. 
People are going to get saved. Revival is going to happen. But we just learned something about God. Man plans his life. God determines the steps. Look at verse 22 and 25 with me. Then the multitude rose us together against them. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Paul goes to Macedonia and rather than seeing a revival, rather than seeing people get saved, the people get angry at what Paul is doing, what Paul is preaching, and the demon that he just finished casting out, and the multitude rose up together against them? Notice, and the magistrate tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods? Let me explain something to you here. Look at Let's keep reading. It gets even worse. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they kept striking him and striking him with stripes. That word stripe literally means when you get whipped so much that all you have is stripes of blood on your body. So Paul is covered in stripes of blood from the people beating him. And just when you think it couldn't get even worse that the people rose against him and the people beat him, they threw him into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely shut there. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison. The worst place in the prison was the inner prison. That was where the worst of criminals were at. And that's where they put Paul. And they fastened their feet with stocks. They tied their hands with chains and their ankles in their hands. They treated him like a criminal. Look at verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying, singing hymns to God. Now let's stop right there for a moment because when Paul gets this vision from God, remember, Paul planned to go to Asia. It didn't happen. His plans failed. He trusts God. He plans to go to Bethania. His plans fail. He trusts in the Lord. He gets a vision from God of a man getting help from Paul. Paul thinks, okay, I'm going to go to Macedonia. I'm going to preach the gospel. Everyone in the cross is going to get saved. Revival is going to happen. He's going excited. And when he gets there, they beat him to death. They beat him senseless. They put so many stripes on his body. They chain him. They threw him in the prison. He's going through one of the hardest times in the book of Acts, in the Paul of life. It's one of the hardest times he's ever gone through. Church, my question is, where was this in the vision? Nowhere. You see, it feels like to me, God held this part back. It's not what Paul visioned. You see, Paul visioned a man getting saved. Paul visioned revival. He envisioned people getting born again. He envisioned this amazing service. He never saw the prison. He never saw the beating. He never saw the betrayal. He never saw the pain. He never saw the prison and the jail and the chains and all of it. Where was that in the vision? You see, when I read that this week, I realized that not only will our plans in life fail, but life is not going to be the way you've always visioned it. And I believe that sometimes God leaves certain things out from a vision. And it looks like God left this part out of the vision because had Paul known what he would go through, 
he probably would not have trusted in God and gone over there. And sometimes God will leave out the bad part of your vision. God will leave out the struggle. God will leave out the hardship. And God will only give you the vision of the greatness and the reward. Why? Because that's what God uses to motivate you into the vision that he has for your life. Are you with me today? Let me give you some examples. Sometimes as believers, your life is not going to be what you envision. But you're going to focus on the reward. You're going to focus on the goal. You're going to focus on the good part, and that's great. Sometimes God leaves the bad part out. I remember as a young man, young man, 22, I believe, 23, God called me into ministry. You remember that, Mom? God called me into ministry. As a young man, I was excited. As a young man, I knew God had called me to preach. How many believe that calling is true today? God had called me to preach. God said, Pastor, you're going to be a pastor one day. You're going to go to church one day. You're going to start a church. I had a vision in my life of me and my family starting the church, being in ministry. I went to school excited. My teachers in seminary were telling me everything about God and learning the Bible. For those few years, I loved it. I was learning. I was growing with great anticipation. I said, one day, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to lead a church. There's going to be a revival in Miami. 13 years later, here we are. And God left out the part. where people you invest in and, and help and disciple, he left the part out that they're going to leave you. Talk bad about you. God left out the part, you're going to do all of this work and make no money. He left that part out. God left out the part that me and my family will work hours and days struggling with no results. God left out the part that you're going to go from building to building to building, not knowing where you're going to have a church service. God left out the part that we're going to be huddled in a small group in Maria's house with no direction as to what's going to happen in the church. God left out the part that Maria's going to burn down the church. God's going to leave down the part of all the struggle and hardship we went through. Why? Because had I known, to be honest, had I known, I would have said, no, God, someone else. Someone else. It's like when you get excited for marriage. You have a vision of marriage. What's your vision? Oh, we're going to get home. She's going to be there waiting with open arms, with makeup on and an apron and beautiful. Dinner's going to be served. We're going to have time together. The intimacy's going to be amazing. We're going to be, it's like living with your best friends. But I've been around so much marriage counseling that I've heard it enough. This is not what I saw. This is not what I envisioned. You're going to plan to have kids. Why? Because when you plan to have children, isn't it interesting that the vision you have for children is always when they're babies? Why? Because they're cute, love you, 
They want to be, I look at ribbon, you're like, mama, mama, dada, you're so beautiful. But that boy's going to grow up to a teenager. And that little jackass going to go, Pah-pah. demonic. You never visioned the teenage years where they hate you, where they fight you. And he said, it's not what we envisioned. The truth is, that's what life is all about. It's not what you envisioned. And Paul had a vision of going to Macedonia and preaching and seeing a revival. Instead, God left the part where he gets beaten and he's bleeding and in chains and thrown into a prison in a dark, cold cell. He never saw that coming. And I wonder this morning how many of you are going through things you never saw coming. How many of you are going through things you never envisioned you'd be going through? And if that's you today, you are exactly where God wants you to be. Though life may not be what you envisioned, though it may not have worked out the way you thought it would, Paul teaches us that you do not have to be miserable. You do not have to be angry. You don't have to be discouraged and quit and bitter because life didn't happen the way you thought it should have. You don't have to be angry and bitter and sad and depressed and discouraged because your plans and expectations have fallen. You can choose today like Paul, even though it's not what I envisioned, even though it's not what I saw, even though my plans have failed, you shut down Asia, you shut down Bethania, and you send me here to Macedonia, and all I've been going through is struggle and pain and hardship. And Lord, it is not what I vision, but Lord, I'm choosing to pray and I'm choosing to still worship you. I'm still choosing to trust you. Paul teaches me that when life and expectations fall and your plans have failed and it's not what you envision, you don't have to be a miserable person. You can choose to live a life of worship. You can choose to live a life that says, Lord, I trust you and I'm going to pray. And in verse 25, let's put that up one more time. In verse 25, it was midnight. And Paul and Silas were praying. Not complaining, praying, not bitter, praying, not cursing, singing. They were in the prison cell, praying and singing hymns. How many of you would say, Pastor, that would be my first reaction? if I were just beaten up and thrown in prison. Show me your hand. I'm glad my church is honest. How many of you would say, Pastor, I would beat you if you told me to worship and pray at that time. Show me your hand. Okay, one person, two. My own mother? Okay, okay, okay. How many would say, Pastor, that would be the last thing on my mind? All right. We all need help. Because if we're all in the prison cell, if Ford fellowship in prison, and Frankie said, guys, I got a guitar. Let's sing. 
One of you say, hey, hey, give me that guitar. Come on, give it to me. And if I said, guys, let's just pray, I'd be afraid to close my eyes with you guys. I'd be praying like this because I know someone is going to throw something at me. You see, Paul did. Paul said, I'm going to pray. How do you pray and worship at a time like that? Because Paul teaches us a powerful discipline I felt led to teach you this morning. Paul was yielding to the Holy Spirit. Paul was yielding, yielding to God and the Spirit of God. And I know this to be true because the minute the Holy Spirit says, you're not going to Asia, he said, okay. And when Paul planned to go to Bethany and the Holy Spirit said, no, you're not doing that either, Paul said, okay. That's a sign of a person who has yielded themselves to God, that are following the direction of the Holy Spirit. They're following the direction of God, not themselves. See, when you yield to God, we say, oh, I surrender to God, give up your life. To, I get that. But when you yield yourself to God, you are saying, Lord, I'm giving up my right to lead my life. And I'm submitted to your authority. And if I'm submitted to your authority, when my life doesn't go the way I expected, I will trust you. Lord, because I'm yielding to you, when I've been betrayed and hurt and mistreated, I will trust you. Lord, when my plans have fallen and my life is not what I envisioned, because I am yield to you, I will trust that you're going to work out for my good. I'm going to trust that you're working something out. I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing. When you yield, you are telling God, everything in my life is in your hands. My time, my future, my destiny, my home, my children, my outcome, it is all in your hands. When you yield to God, God will work wonders. It's kind of like when you pay for a plane ticket and you plan to go to a trip and you plan to go to another country. You make all of these plans. You pack your luggage. You go to the airport. You make it on time. You sit on that plane. And even though you have these plans to go to this country, you have these plans of what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do. You have your itinerary. It doesn't mean that that trip is going to happen. At any moment, that pilot can delay the flight. That means you're not going to get there at the time you thought you'd be there. At that moment, you can experience turbulence. And that flight is not going to be as smooth as you thought. That pilot can call the detour and say, we're not going to land there. We're going to land over here. That pilot can even cancel the flight and say, it's not safe to fly. We're just going to cancel this entire flight. And the truth is, no matter how mad that makes you, no matter how disappointing it may be, you don't realize that you have just demonstrated that you are yielding to that pilot. You are trusting in him. And the same factor goes with God. When you gave your life to Jesus and you surrendered yourself to him, you said, Lord, I make my plans, I have my desires, but you are my pilot. And you tell me what time this is going to happen. You're going to tell me if or if not it's going to happen. I am trusting 
in you. That's what it means to yield to God. And if you want to see a life that is blessed, church, if you want to see God work in your life, if you want to see God fulfill His purpose, let's take it further. If you want to live a life of peace, if you want to be free from frustration and anger and bitterness and anxiety and depression and worry, practice the discipline of yielding to the Spirit of God. Knowing that if life doesn't go my way, God, it's okay. God, if you don't give me the desires of my heart, I will accept that. Lord, if you take something from me, I will trust you. But too often, we don't realize in teaching the church the principle of yielding to the Spirit of God. Let me give you a prime example in Scripture of God giving us an illustration of what it looks like to yield to Him. Isaiah 64, 8. God says this, but now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay. You are the what? The potter. We are the work of your hand. Let me say that one more time. We are the work of your hand. Your hand. Say that with me. Your hand. God is saying here, the position in where we stand with Him. He says, I'm the Father. That makes you my child. I'm the potter. That makes you the clay. You are the work of my hand. If you want to see your life blessed, it has to be on the hands of God, not yours. But sometimes we say, no, this is in my hands. This is in my control. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do it. And that is not yielding to God. Yielding to God says, Lord, my life is in your hands. You are working for my life. You are in my surrender. God says, I'm the partner. You're the clay. Why does he say that? It's amazing. Because the potter looks at the clay like he looks at you. And that potter doesn't say, well, I'm just going to spin you around and let's see what happens. Let's just figure out what comes out. You know, God did not just throw you onto this earth and say, oh, let's just see what happens. Let's just figure it out as we go. The Bible says before you were even born, I formed you. I knew you. When God predetermined that you would exist and you would be on this earth, he predetermined your personality. He predetermined your will, your desires. Everything about you has been the work of God's hand. 
before you even formed. God knew the sins you would commit, the mistakes you would make, the weaknesses you would have, the burdens you were carrying. God already had a plan. God did not just throw you onto this earth. Don't ever tell yourself, I have no purpose. I have no value. You are the work of God's hands. Oh, but pastor, I have so many imperfections and I have so many flaws. The potter already knows it. He says, I have a plan for your life. You're the clay. God says that to tell us you're nothing. You and I are nothing without God. Romans 9.21 Paul says, does not the potter have power over the clay? Does not the, does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another of dishonor. God says, because you're the clay, and I'm the potter. I have power over you. And here lies the problem. Many of us love the idea that God has a plan for our lives. Many of us have this, this notion that, yes, God has a plan, God has a purpose, God has a destiny. Have you ever noticed in the modern-day church lately, those words are often used a lot? And know your destiny, your purpose, your, your race, and God, God's going to bless you. God's going to form you. God has a, a destiny for your life. God has a dream to fulfill. And we all love all of that, but understand something about God. He does have a plan for your life. He does have a will. But you have to surrender power over him. Many people want God to give them the desires of their hearts and the plans that they have. Many people want to reach the destiny that God has for them, but there's a power struggle between you and God. And God says, you're the clay. The potter has power over the clay. God is supposed to have power over our lives, but we live in a culture today that people want the power for themselves. I do what I want. I say what I want. I do what I feel. It is my life. It is my choice. It is my body. It is my future. It is my destiny. I control my life. I control what I do. I control everything. There is a power struggle between people and God today. And let me tell you something interesting about God. God will say, you go ahead. You take powers into your own hands. You go ahead and lead your life without me. But no one in scriptures or even on earth has ever been successful when they do that. And here lies the problem. God says, I'm the potter with the power over you. And the clay, all he does is yield. That clay just yields and says, potter, whatever you want. Potter, I'm here. You do what you want with my life. And it yields power the potter. Isaiah says this. Isaiah 45, 9. 
Woe to him who quarrels with this man. To him who is but a postured among the postures on the ground. Here's a question. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? See, what the Bible says is that because God is the potter and we are the clay, we are no one to fight with God. We are in a position where God has power over our lives and we yield to him. But the problem with so many people today is that we're fighting God. We're fighting God in the way he's doing things. We're fighting God because it doesn't work out the way we want. We fight God when God says, do this, but you do that. We fight God when we say, no, I don't want to. I don't feel like it. I'm going to do what I want. And many people fight God because many people want power over their own lives. But when you yield to the Spirit of God, you are like that claim. And you say, Lord, you do what you want. Let your will be done. I may not like it. I may disagree with you. It may be a struggle for me to accept. But Lord, I will not fight you if you don't give me the desires of my heart. I will not fight you if you don't answer the prayers that I'm praying. Lord, I will not fight you if you don't work it out for me. I will not fight you if it doesn't happen the way I wanted it to happen. Lord, because you are the potter, I yield to you and you take control over my life. And God says, when you yield to him, like the clay, you will become a vessel of honor. A vessel of honor was a vase made for a noble purpose. But a vessel of dishonor was a vase that was used for the bathroom. What do you want? Do you want a life that God can honor? Can you say amen today? Do you want a life that God can honor you? Do you want God to honor your home, honor your marriage, honor your children, honor your life, your future, your destiny, your calling? If you want to lead and live a life of honor, you have to be like a clay in full submission to the potter, not resisting his strength and saying, Lord, let your will be done. I yield my rights to you. And Paul begins to say this in Romans. God has power over our lives. But whenever you choose to fight him, you're becoming a vessel of dishonor. And Paul says, does the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? When I read that, I thought of that. What if clay could talk? What if this clay right now could talk? What if these vessels of honor could speak? You might look at it and say, wow, this is a beautiful one. Look at the curvature on this one. Look at this. This one's so nice. And all of a sudden it replies, yeah, but I wasn't always this nice. You say, what? Yeah, I wasn't always. Let me tell you my story. Once upon a time, I was nothing. 
And this potter grabbed me. And I wasn't sure what he was doing, but I didn't ask. And then he did things in my life. He did things to me that hurt and were painful, but I never questioned him. And what if that power would say, one time, I remember this one time, he put me on this table and he applied so much pressure into my life. Does it ever feel like God is just putting so much pressure on you? Show me your hand. That little pot would tell you, I remember the pressure I was under and the stress, and I was wondering why he was doing it. Why was he allowing this? But I never said a word. And just when I thought the pressure would stop, he kept doing it. I said, I just want some relief. But I trusted him. And just when I thought everything was over, it only got worse. He began to take away stuff from me. He began to cut away things I thought would be a part of me forever. And the potter took so much away from me. And I wanted to question him why. Why are you taking this from me? No, I want that. I really like this part of me. No. And why is the potter just removing so much? And after he removed everything from me, he kept putting more pressure on me. But I said nothing. He pressed me hard. He took so much away. And then the worst thing happened. He put me on a shelf and left me. It felt like he hung me to dry. I couldn't see him. I called, but he never answered. I felt ignored because I was on that shelf and I would see the potter working on all these other pots and everyone else was beautiful and I saw all these other beautiful pots and I wondered, God, why was the potter rejecting me? Why was the potter not responding to me? Why did he put so much pressure on me? Why did he cut and take away so much from me? Why has he ignored me? Why have I just been left here to dry? And then he came back. He held me. And when I saw what I'd become, I realized that potter that put pressure on me was actually forming me. And that potter that cut everything away from me was actually doing me a blessing. Now I see why he did everything he did. So you might look at me now and say, I'm beautiful and I'm great. I'm a vessel of honor. But boy, did I go through it. This is what God does in your life. He's going to put pressure on you. He's going to cut things away from you that you thought you need and thought you loved. 
Sometimes it feels like God's going to put you on a shelf. He's going to do nothing. Silence. But in all of that, the clay just yields. That's why when God says, I'm the potter, and you're the clay, you just trust me. You yield to me. God gives you a choice. You can yield and watch me work. Or you can fight me and become a posture. A posture is a pile of broken, useless pottery. When you fight God and you resist Him, you're fighting Him to a point that it's just going to leave you broken and useless to God. But if you yield to God and say, Lord, I don't understand, but I yield to you. God says, you may not understand now, but you will. You know, I think about Paulette right here. She planned on just going to the hospital one day, surgery, in and out, right? Go home. She never planned or envisioned Pete stay, stay in the hospital. He's still in the hospital. He's not doing well. He's still having a hard time. She never saw that coming. And right now, I know, Paulette, it might feel like God is just putting the pressure on you and God has just put you on the shelf and you don't know what he's doing. But I promise you, Paulette, you just yield to God. And say, Lord, you are in power. I'm not. And you'll see God work. The reason that Paul is able to worship and pray, the Bible says at the midnight hour. That midnight hour is a term in the Bible that applies the darkest time at night. And some of you right now, you feel like you're going through the darkest time of your life. And when the night became the darkest it could be, that's when Paul said, I'm going to pray and worship. And I often wonder why. And here's why. Because sometimes when the potter is molding the clay, that clay can become hardened. It's interesting because as you press the clay, it takes away the moisture and that clay becomes easily hardened. And as the pressure is applied in your life, I believe it becomes harder in your life, spiritually. And when you enter that darkest hour in your life, there's a part of you that hardens and you're like, I don't want to pray. I don't want to trust God. It's just so hard. It's difficult. It's unfair. And you become hard. And I believe that Paul began to worship and Paul began to pray because when that clay becomes hardened, 
you pour water into. And that potter begins to soften that clay again. That's why it's so important that when you are going through your darkest time, like Paul was, at the darkest hour, that you begin to notice your spirit hardening, that you fall into a place of worship and prayer. Because when you pray and you worship, it's like God is pouring himself onto you and giving you the strength to keep going so that God can finish the work that he started. When you're going through the darkest hour of your life, it is not a time to question God. It is not a time to get bitter and angry and upset and compare yourself to other people and ask God why and it's unfair. When you are going through the darkest hour of your life, like Paul, it is a time for you to fall before God and pray and pray and pray. And if you're not praying, you're worshiping for who he is, not what he's going to do and why he's doing it. You are worshiping because you know that God is the potter in control and he's working something out and he's in control so I have nothing to worry. I have nothing to worry about. I'm just going to pray and I'm just going to worship. And one of the signs that you are yielding to God is prayer and worship. That does not get taken away from you when you yield to God. But when you see a person going through a dark time and they leave church and they get angry and bitter and their attitude changes and they're not as close to God, that is someone that is not yielded to God. Because when you yield to God, your worship to God cannot be robbed from you because God deserves the highest praise and your prayer will not be taken away from you because you have a living and complete surrender to God. And Paul said, right now, it's the darkest time of my life. I have been lied about. I have been beaten. It is not what I envisioned. I trusted God. I was being led by the Holy Spirit. And all it has led me to be is a person in a dark, cold prison cell in chains. And I don't understand what God is doing, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship because I have a God that says, I am the potter and you are the clay. It may not feel good. It may not make sense to you. But if I have power over your life, you're going to experience my power over your life and you're going to see me work. But you have to yield to God. You have to say, Lord, I yield to you. It may not be what I want. It may not be what I expected. But Lord, I yield to you. When you worship and pray in the darkest time of your life, it does more for you than it does God. As a young man, I saw my mom battling breast cancer. And I would walk by the highways, the hallways, and gaze at her room just to see her lying down in bed with earphones on. Just worshiping. Just praying. Because when she was going through the pressure and it felt like God had put her on the shelf, the minute she started worshiping, 
The second she was in prayer, the Holy Spirit, that's a, the Bible is symbolic for water, by the way, poured into her life. And she never got hardened. She never got bitter. She kept serving God, kept teaching Sunday school, kept worshiping. Because not only was worship doing more for her than it was for God, it was doing more for me as I saw her doing it. And I'm grateful I didn't see how my mom say, well, I don't know, I serve God, I do all of this, and I get cancer. What's the point of serving God anyway? He is so unfair. I know all these other people that deserve it. Why me? I never saw that. I only saw worship and prayer. Because that was a person that yielded to God. Why is it so important you learn this today? Because life gets hard, amen? And you go through the pressure. And it feels like God is just taking things from you. But if you knew that this was your future and that God was going to do something honorable, you would say, Lord, go ahead. Put the pressure on. I yield to you. And it's so important that other people that don't know Jesus, when they see you, they see you yielding to God. Look at verse 25. At midnight, the darkest hour, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns. And the prisoners were what? The prisoners were listening. Why is it so vital? Because the Bible tells us that Paul was not the only one in that cell. He was not the only one in that prison. There were other men in that prison with Paul. The only difference is those men did not know Jesus like Paul did. And what if in your life right now there's people in your life that don't know Jesus and you desperately want them to? Let me advise you on this. You're watching they're listening to you. Paul didn't know it. Paul didn't say, oh, they're watching us. Let's just pretend we're good, we're good Christians. Oh, Silas, look, they're watching us. Yes, Lord, we love you, Lord. They're gone. Oh, yeah, I can't believe this. Not what he said. He didn't know they were listening. But those men heard worship. They heard thanksgiving. They heard praise. And they were going through what they were going through. You're not the only one in this world hurting. 
You're not the only one in this world going through pressure. You're not the only one who has lost, who has suffered. The difference is, church, you know Jesus. And the world is watching you. And when they see you, they shouldn't see you angry, bitter, complaining, cursing. They should see someone that's yielding to God. Maybe you have people in your life that are unsaved. Unsaved family members. Unsaved spouse. Unsaved co-workers. When life gets hard, and they're going through it, and they see you going through it. They're watching you to see how you react. And the best example you can ever give a non-believer is the example of a person that is yielding to God. My question to you, church, as we close, is do you live a life that demonstrates that you're yielding to God? Or are you in a place of resistance with God? Fighting God? Or saying, God, let your will be done? You see, when I read this passage of Scripture, the Bible says something amazing. The Bible says in verse 25 and 26 that at the midnight hour, as Paul was yielding to God, they were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were all listening. And then look at verse 26. Suddenly. Can you all say that with me? And suddenly. Say it like you want to hear it. And suddenly. Suddenly. There was a great earth. So the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately, the doors opened. The doors were open, And everyone's chains fell off. And I love what happened in verse 29 through 32. After everything was done and said, he called, the jailer called out in light and he ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And the Bible says in verse 30, and he brought them out and said, Sir, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. And all were in his house. When that jailer saw what happened, he had one question. What must I do to be saved by Jesus? There were three things that happened as a result of Paul being yielded to God. When Paul chose to pray and worship, three things happened, and these three things are the things that I believe you want God to do in your life. Let me prove it to you. Number one, the Bible says, and suddenly, that word suddenly means that Paul never expected it. Paul never planned it. And here's the good news. God says, 
You plan in your heart, but I determine your steps, meaning your plans are going to fail and life is not going to be the way you thought it'd be. But see, that works in our benefit because God is getting ready to bless you in ways you never saw coming. God is going to bless you in ways you never planned. God is going to do things in your life you never envisioned because God says, I determine your steps. And the Bible says suddenly three things happened. Number one, the doors were open. Would you show me your hands this morning if you want God to open doors in your life right now? You're saying, God, I need some doors open today. I need some opportunities. I need you to connect me with the right people in the right time at the right place. I need doors to open. Suddenly the doors open. Another thing happened all of a sudden. The chains fell off, which represent bondage. And all of a sudden the chains fell. And the chains represents the bondage in your life. You may be in bondage to bad habits, bad mindsets, sin, addiction. But when you are yielding to God, the chains that ruled your life for years can suddenly break off and you can experience the freedom of God in your life. When you say, Lord, I yield to you, not only the doors open, not only the chains fall, but people got saved. And how many of you have people in your life you want to see saved, you want to see transformed, and you want to see in heaven with you? Show me your hand today. God says, I can do that. But you need to yield to me. Don't make this another Sunday. Another day. Make this a day you say, Lord, I yield to you. I surrender to you. I won't question you when the pressure is on. I won't be angry when you take away from me. I will trust you when I'm hurt. I will trust you and yield to you when I'm taken advantage of. I will yield to you when life doesn't go my way. I will yield to you when the darkest hour comes. I will yield to you when I'm alone. I will yield to you when I'm broken. I will yield to you when I'm betrayed. I will yield to you when I'm depressed. I will yield to you when I'm desperate. I will yield to you because you have the power over me. And when you are a person that is yielding to the Holy Spirit, I believe doors begin to open, chains begin to fall, and lives become saved. Will you leave this church today still fighting God? Still saying, I'm going to do it my way. Or will you say, Lord, I yield to you. You all stand to your feet today. If you're here today, in this Sunday morning service where it's dark outside and it's raining, you're here today you're saying pastor I'm going through the pressure and the Lord has taken from me and life makes no sense sometimes and I feel like God has just put me on the shelf what if God is getting ready to make you a vessel of honor what if God allowed the pressure to mold you not break you what if God took that away from you because he was sparing you the pain?
What if, like Paul, you say, God, I'm in the dark tower of your I will pray and worship you. And you, this is you this morning. You're going through one of the darkest hours of your life. Going through pressure. And you want God to see doors open. You want chains to fall. You want God to save those around you. Please show me your hand today and say, Pastor, I need to yield to God for those who follow me. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see all of your hands. I want you to surrender that to the Lord right now. In your own words, just tell the Lord, I yield. My plans have failed. I yield. It's not what I envisioned. I yield. It hasn't happened the way I thought it would. I yield. I yield when my prayers don't get answered. I yield when God allows me to go through suffering. I yield when I see my loved ones hurting. Lord, I yield because I am not. You are the potter with the power over me. I will say nothing but you and trust you. Let me pray over you. Heavenly Father, We make our plans. We break our hearts. We envision what we want. We get what we don't deserve. In the room today, there's pain. In the room today, there's questions. In the room today, there may be anger, confusion, and worry. Father, I pray in our church we would yield. That even in our darkest hour we would worship, we would pray, knowing that you have a plan for our lives. You are in control of our destiny. Father, I pray you forgive and fight when we think we know better. For your word says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, what God has prepared for those who love him. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that our suddenly will come at your word. And at the right moment, you will open doors that only you can open. I pray that the chains that have kept us in bondage will fall and set us free. 
And I pray for the lost people in our lives that they would be saved as they see Jesus in us, in our example. In Jesus' name, we yield. Would you say that with me? Say, Lord, in Jesus' name, I yield. I yield. And would you just say this with me? I yield. You fill in the blank. I yield my life, my dreams. I yield my future, my desires. I yield to my loved ones. I yield and trust in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Come on, we give God some praise this morning.